feel like Gordon Bombay would have taken his career to even further heights. Everything's flashy, everything's cocaine, everything's fun. Open wide for some soccer. I don't care what you think about, what your personal thoughts are at home. I care that you hate the Cowboys. Call college rules! Welcome back, everybody, to the Sports Experience Podcast. Dom and Chris here. Uh, before we begin, uh, as always, letting you know we're recording down here at Engel Studio here in Tucson for all of your audio needs here in town. And... Uh, also, please give our social medias a follow as well as like and subscribe our podcast over there on Spotify and YouTube. Uh, pumping those numbers up would really help us and uh, create the quality content that you've come to enjoy. That's right. Throw some comments in there. Good, yeah. bad, middle. Don't even. It doesn't even have to be about the episode. You know? it, it can be anything. <laughs> Literally, just throw some comments. I want the Crunchwrap Supreme back. It's still there. I don't know. Please bring back Crystal Pepsi. We'd there like you go. that. You See, know? that's actually a legitimate comment. And then both of us would like it, and then hopefully you'd subscribe, and we would get on the ball to bring it back. And then we get sponsored by Zima. This is where Ooh, we're headed. Come yeah, on. Yeah, Zima. Please take us. We are a Zima podcast. I don't know if you know. Pro Zima. I don't think I've... I've I don't know if I've ever actually had one, but I know I'm pro Zima. I feel like I almost got diabetes from drinking too much Zima once. That's an American fucking story. I got to stop cursing so early. Oh, you know it's what? All right. That's all right. Who are we talking about? And what are we doing? Because we're in a block episode we're in again. Another block episode. Baseball just started back up. So we're getting into baseball. Who we got? We've got a brother's baseball block. So famous Major League Baseball players, two of them, who are brothers. Three Bs. Three Bs. Triple B, like Guy Fieri and Triple D. That's right. Only way better and less hair dye. Anyway. <laughs> Our first set of brothers, the first one we're going to talk about is Sandy Alomar Jr. Yeah, we got the Alomars, and we're starting with Sandy Jr., um, just a great catcher. And uh, we see, and I, I knew as soon as we were doing this, we were going to get some frustrated Dom. With we'll them get into just, it. With them just, just uh, the pods. A ham sandwich! <laughs> just trading away their prospects. For a guy for like six months. I will I will discuss this later in the episode. I will try and rationalize it like I've tried to rationalize a lot of these decisions over the last 30 years of my life. Um, so Santos Alomar Velasquez Jr., uh, born June 18th, 1966 in Salinas, Puerto Rico. He was the middle child to Maria and Sandy Sr., who was a former Major League Baseball player. Yes, and they... his. Him and his brother really idolized his father. and mm-hmm. But I saw they didn't really spend a lot of time, which makes sense um, during the season. So, I mean, you know, what baseball players do. But they spent a lot of summers with him. Yeah, so his dad played 15 years in the big leagues. Yep. He was an all-star second baseman, mostly for those Angels teams uh, in the 70s. Um, his dad never pushed his kids into baseball. He just said, the only influence that they get is from seeing me play. And he basically... His dad basically talked about how his mom or his wife was the most important person to his three children, Mm -hmm. like how she was always around because he was off playing baseball all the time. And uh, Sandy wasn't as into baseball growing up as his younger brother. No, no, it wasn't um, because you hear these kids coming up, especially in like Puerto Rico, where they play all day. Every night, day. Every day. And this that was really not the case for Sandy. He, he kind of was just kind of a... It said he was into dirt bike riding I was just and say karate. Into, into a bunch of like, you know, kind he of stuff. He is but, like know. Brett Hull only has his shit together, mm-hmm. essentially. He's just doing other stuff. Um, and then his dad really talked about how 
He only got interested in baseball by catching. That was the only thing that interested him. That was the only position that interested him because of just the action. The constant, yes, the constant. It's not like pitching either. You think you might do that, but yeah, I feel like the catching, that really caught him. Hey, oh, come on, we're two comedians. <laughs> um, but that's it, it's interesting because if he had never become a catcher, he might have never went into baseball and he could have been the greatest dirt bike slash karate guy in the whole world. He would have been participating in the extreme games in the mid 1990s, Chris breaking boards and doing (laughs) backflips. It would have been, Oh God, that he would have been the Puerto Rican Chuck Norris. Let's just throw that out at six, five, 200 pounds. He could have, he could have the Florida Ranger. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, six, five, 200 pounds. You're behind the dish. You got a cannon for, he would throw guys out kneeling. Like, that's how strong of an arm yep. that he had. Just a very great defender and very smart. His baseball IQ, because of his dad and also younger, him and his younger brother had just ridiculous baseball IQs. Um, but well, just, yeah, just growing up with it and growing up on the professional side of it. So, like, seeing their dad on, in the summers and, like, kind of that kind of stuff where it, it, it's a different perspective for you growing up just playing Little League, I imagine. It's a game, but you see it also as a job. Yeah. Like, you see the. The work employment. that needs to be, yeah. Yeah, the uh, work ethic and everything that mm-hmm. it takes. Um, he ends up graduating uh, Luis Munoz Rivera High School in Puerto Rico, and he's signed by the San Diego Padres on October 21st, 1983, because in these days, if you didn't know, Puerto Ricans weren't subject to the MLB draft. They were treated as foreign prospects, yep. which... Good for them at this time, and at this point, the Padres are actually really good at finding talent. There. And I was, I was going to say, him and his brother actually reap the benefits of this um, because they get to just get injected right into their minor minor league system, and they're good enough at a super young age to be like, oh yeah, these guys should be. And their dad's an assistant coach at the big club. Oh too. yeah, he was an assistant for coach at that time. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, that's I mean, you, you could. You can all kind of see that too. The scouts being like, "Yeah, yeah, we're gonna pick up your sons. We see it. Like we we see how awesome your sperm is, sir. We get it. We get it. You're good at baseball. You're a good middle infielder, and you're good at plowing. So we got you. We got you. There was a fee. Uh, they, <laughs> they don't like to call it a stud fee, but it turned <laughs> out. Turned out. <laughs> Sandy kind of struggles his first years in the minors, and it's also kind of hard because his younger brother is also, he's doing very well and meeting him at specific levels, even though he's two years younger. Yes. His first couple seasons in Spokane and in Charleston are kind of difficult. In fact, he only hits 221 in his first three seasons. Well, I was thinking about this because his brother had almost started earlier, where you almost see him like kind of catch up to his younger brother which is a weird thing to say but it, it you see that at the skill level where he doesn't like take off right away right when he gets into the minor minors he struggle struggles a little and then he really puts it together where yeah in 87 mm-hmm. uh, out in wichita in the texas league um roberto's on his team now this year again uh he hits 307 in 103 games eight home runs and 65 rbis and you're thinking man he just dominated double a so in 88, he goes to AAA Las Vegas. The problem is, in 1987, the Padres have the rookie of the year on their team who plays catcher. Another Puerto Rican Benito catcher. Santiago, who, unlike Sandy, is a gigantic asshole, but like Sandy, extremely talented. Yes. 
he has he sets the record for a hitting streak by a catcher that year with I believe 33 games in a row hits over 300 and he's in his early 20s so unfortunately for Sandy even when he gets promoted to Las Vegas in 88 and has a fantastic season with hitting 297 with 16 homers and 71 RBIs he's the co minor league player of the year with a guy we did an episode on Chris oh who was that for 88 Gary Sheffield. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Gary Sheffield out in well, Denver. I was going to say, because I saw he won this two years in a row. Yeah. Which at that point, because he comes back to Vegas, 89. Yeah, because he gets a cup of coffee in 88 with the Padres, but it's like a September call-up. Yes, it's a it's a barely, uh, hey, what are, you, what are you doing up here? Hey, kinda? come up here to get your first major league hit, and we can have three people named Alomar on the field at the same time. Yeah, I've been in the show. <laughs> You've been in the show? I've been in the show for 20 days. Like, that's kind of yeah. how it was, you know? Exactly. Um, so he's back down in Vegas in 89 and dominating. That's the thing that... Which is sad because he should be on another team. Like, I mean, I would have liked for him to have played for the Padres, yes. but he, he should have been on another team. And I won't say it's not... Or I won't say it's shitty but it's kind of not fair yes because they have nowhere to go they can't they haven't been able to trade him i guess before this season 22 of the other 25 mlb teams were inquiring whether they could trade for him but in las vegas that year again he hits 306 13 dinger 101 rbis that's amazing he threw out 34 percent of the runners on base and like you said minor league player of the year and this time it's not co he wins no, it yeah, two years in a row co um, he had this quote where he said, it means a lot to me the way I felt. I was so frustrated. I figured there was no way I'd do it, win it again. So like, it's perseverance. It's just like, man, I'm in a crappy situation. No one's going to pay me. I'll get that September call up again and just hope they'll trade me somewhere else. And that's really what happens is they realize they can't sit on him for another year. And the Padres make a, a great trade to bring in one of these guys who plays for them for like a decade so <laughs> i i've tried to rationalize this chris and this well, is all i can think of okay so in the winter of 89 the padres are coming off a season where they finish second in their division to the giants yep. in the nl west they need one more bat in their lineup and what they have is a talented minor league catcher who won't play for them and they have a glut of middle infielders. Templeton's still playing short, but you have Robbie Alomar, Joey Cora played in 87. You have Bip Roberts on your roster. I mean, you want to get rid of it and see if you can get like a proven guy to maybe take you over the hump and get you in the NLCS. Oh, do they fuck this up royally? It is. And it's uh, and not for who they get, but what ends up happening. I was just going to say, sometimes this is just the bad luck in baseball where it on paper, when it happens, that looks like a great trade. What happens after that is just bad for the any Padres fan. I can't even imagine it. And this is kind of what sucks too with baseball is when teams have uh, uh, just too many guys at one position, they end up trading and it doesn't go as, you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't necessarily benefit the team. It doesn't help them. So on December 6th, because the Cleveland Indians have just lost Jake Taylor. Yep. They are in need of a catcher. They are in need of a catcher. He had just retired. Randy He's Newman is singing songs on his piano. Making a couple of Olympic swinner, swimmers, a couple of athletes out there. Making the league minimum. No more. He is not making the league minimum. Uh, I, I didn't know they still had baseball in Cleveland. <laughs> they still had it in San Diego either. 
<laughs> so he gets traded to Cleveland for one Joe Carter. Joe Carter. So it's Sandy Alomar, Craig James's brother, who did nothing for them, mm-hmm. Chris James, but Carlos Baerga, who made oh, yeah. multiple all-star teams yeah. for the Indians and was a huge part of some of the success we'll be talking about later. This was the biggest move because it started everything for what we'll talk about for the Indians and Sandy down the road throughout the 90s. Two just great defensive players. And I think that's... Baerga was a 300 hitter for yep. like a half a decade. He was really good. Yeah. I mean, he was an all-star second baseman, but you're not overtaking the other Alomar. No. Until they trade him away, goddamn. <laughs> but we bring this up because Joe Carter lasts one season yep. in San Diego. 1990. And you gave away all of that. Pretty... Oh, you traded Jay Buhner. He's got a rocket for an arm. <laughs> you traded Jay Buhner for Ken Phelps. Everybody said Ken Phelps, Ken Phelps, Ken Phelps. But that's really what it felt like with this trade, where Carter's not bad, but you really trade away your future. Well, and the Indians were just trying to shed payroll. Carter didn't want to come back to Cleveland, and they were like, well, you're going to make too much money. we got to get rid of you to somewhere else. Yep, and then... And this was basically a godsend for Sandy, because in 1990... It's his season mm-hmm. for Cleveland. Um, they're a bad team, which means, A, he gets to play right away, and B, gets to show everybody how good he is. Um, he's the immediate starter at catcher. His first season, he makes the All-Star team. The first starting rookie catcher in an All-Star game in 1990. And at this game, his brother's playing second base for the National League, and his dad is one of the coaches for the National League, yeah, it's which quite is pretty the cool. Alomar... Uh... All-Star game. Um, that season, he hits 290 with nine dingers, 26 doubles, 66 RBIs, and he wins the gold glove. As a catcher. As a catcher, and was the unanimous rookie of the year for the American League. Yep. Which, and was the first time he uh, an Indians catcher had won a gold glove since 1976 with uh, Rick Manning. So I did want to bring up this year, he plays in 132 games. Why is that number important? Because it's the most games he'll ever play in in any season because of injuries. I was just going to say, so you see him, especially in this next couple of years, really struggle with injury. And then when you see him really start to click it in, so at least have like half seasons in like 96, that's when like the Indians are this powerhouse. Yeah, because like 91, 92, he makes the all-star team both years because of his defense and his leadership and everything he plays in 140 games combined yes 93 he only plays in 64 games hits 270 um the problem is all of these injuries aren't like ooh, i i i my my fingernail is gonna fall off you know he's having back surgery right rotator cuff surgery right hip flexor two right knee injuries from slides and he twice injured the webbing in his right hand how the hell do you even... I mean, if you're picking a position to get the hell beat out of you, that's the one. And, and I do feel like it's like some of these injuries you would see on a guy, you'd be like, ooh, that's a rough career. He went through all of these injuries in like a span of like three or four years. And he was such like, a G, though. He kept going out yep. there. That was the thing. And even as he's being injured, the Indians keep acquiring yep. more talent. And they start when in 94, they finish second in their division. Uh, interesting fact on opening day of 94, they play the Seattle Mariners, and he breaks up a no hitter by Randy Johnson in the seventh inning mm-hmm. with Bob Feller. We should do a Bob Feller episode one of these days. Um, 
finally have a winning record, the Indians. He plays in 80 games that year, 14 dingers, hits 288. So, like, when he's in the lineup, he's playing very well. Yes, he's but just... he definitely can't keep oh, essentially like a 60 to 70 game season is what he, he averages in this time. Um, 95. He has a knee injury in yep. 94, which prevents him from coming back until basically June of the, that season. Yep. Um, he hits 300 in a stat. And this is an awesome Indians team. They have not made the playoffs since Lou Brown was there. No. <laughs> they have not made the playoffs in 41 years. I don't know, man. I got another guy on the line talking about white walls. But that's you're right. 40 years, 41 years, it's definitely a franchise that hope isn't there if you will but then in these in these years in the early 90s everybody can see like they're getting to be a great team kenny lofton is on this team we did an episode on you're starting to see because that's what kenny loft those those, that by alomar trade Mm -hmm. you finally get albert bell coming up you get manny ramirez draft you trade for kenny lofton it's starting to come together pepper yep so in 95 they have Tony Pena kind of spotting him uh, late in his career. Well, uh, they they said they picked up Pena because he was injured so much that yeah. they had to have somebody else. And if you look at it, it was probably a great um, spot for Pena to come in and get some. Well, he was a former All Star in St. Louis, yep. in Pittsburgh. I mean, you know, he's definitely I won't say past his prime, but you know, he's, but def- can still I was going to say, yeah, yeah, it was definitely a good trade for them. Um, so in 95, he hits 300. Um, he batted ninth in the lineup and still had 10 homers and 35. That's how good this lineup was. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Tomey, Manny Ramirez. I mean, Jesus. Um, they go to the f- postseason for the first time in 40. They win, a, they go 144. Imagine, though, coming in like a Bayerga or a Sandy Alomar in 1990 to that horrible state because they moved into Jacobs Field in 94, but playing in that old Brown Stadium. Oh, yeah. Where they had 10-cent beer night, everyone. That's what everyone's talking about. It's one of the greatest nights in baseball. Get ladies flashing their jugs at the umpire. That's a good night of baseball. Uh, They beat uh, Boston. Uh, They sweep them in the ALDS. They beat Seattle uh, six games in the ALC. And they go to their first World Series. Yeah. 41 years. 41 years. Uh, Unfortunately, Sandy and the rest of the offense don't do particularly well we talked about it in the kenny lofton episode yeah. that uh they really favorable strike zone i was just gonna say they really hit a wall here but it really whew, uh man he, he uh it's it's 200 a fa- yeah it's a favorable strike zone you're not wrong very favorable um 96 uh they win the al central again um sandy's an all-star this season but then misses the second half of the season mm- Oh yeah, and that's the thing that we see here is like he. I think he plays something like seventy games, and then oh no, he played in one hundred twenty-seven this season. Oh okay, in ninety-six. Yeah. All right, yeah. Um, he hits two sixty-three with eleven dingers, fifty RBIs. Um, Indians are great this year. They win. Uh, this is a span from I believe ninety-five to ninety-nine. They yeah. win the AL Central every single season, so they're in the playoffs every single season. Uh, unfortunately, in the ALDS, they play Baltimore, and who plays for Baltimore? Chris, his brother, his brother, and with old Cali Rip June. I'll tell you what, that was a game. That was a team of juniors, and it was a defensive powerhouse. Was that uh, yeah. Orioles team? No, oh, yeah, up the middle. I mean, Jesus Christ. But uh, and his brother performed. We'll discuss it in the next episode quite well in this particular series. Sandy does not, along with the rest of Cleveland's offense, uh, it's and, only one twenty-five. Yeah, um, and they're eliminated. 
and 97 the following year. This is probably the greatest thing to have happened to him as far as a, being a professional baseball player. This, this is, is his best season. I was just going to say, this is definitely his best season. He's finally, and this is what I mixed up because 96, he finally has like a full season, isn't injured, and then comes back in 97, and you're like, oh, this is the... This is the potential that he showed in San Diego and his first two years in, in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Um, so in 97, he plays in 125 games, has 480 at-bats, and then career highs in hits, doubles, dingers, RBIs. Three hit 324 this season. Yep. He was hitting like over 400 into May. That's how good he was this season. With All-star a game. and 354 uh, on-base percentage. Yep. A 900 OPS. And let's talk about that All-Star game, Chris. In Cleveland. July 8th, <clears throat> or 1997. And uh, he hits a dinger. He hits a dinger. And he hits a very important dinger in this game. I thought it was interesting. He, his son was there, I think. Mm-hmm. It was like seven, and um, he said something like, oh, yeah, I yelled at him. Or they were yelling at him, get a hit. And I said, get a home run. <laughs> it was such a kid thing, but yeah. So, yeah, uh, in this game, uh, I believe it's the bottom of the seventh. Mm-hmm. Bernie Williams is on second base. Sean Estes is on the mound. Paul O'Neill, who a sick boy in Seinfeld told to catch a ball in his hat so Kramer could get that uh, poster back, says to Mike Three Hart, home runs. Three home runs. You got to count it. That's an inside the park. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> He's, he basically told Mike Hargrove, who was coaching, who was the Indians manager, but was coaching in the All-Star game. If all things were fair, Sandy would hit a home run and win this ball game. And on a 2-2 pitch, he does it, and they win 3-1. They crush it, yeah. It's the, it was the first Cleveland home run in an All-Star game since 1959 in Rocky Colavito, which that's in the forever ago. He probably he played with Larry Doby back in the day. It's in the long, long ago. It's in the long, long ago. Uh, it was the first uh, All Star Game MVP, also for the Indians. Yep. And uh, he was. We go to the playoffs, and it, the dingers never stop, Chris. The dingers never stop. So we go to the <clears throat> we go to the playoffs this year. They they go up against the Yankees. This is when the Yankees start putting their shit together. Yeah, this is when the evil empire starts to the death stars being built yes yes exactly um i think game four it is game four because they're down two one in the series um this is when the yankees still had uh pedophile john wetland as their closer but future hall of famer mariano rivera was their setup man and he hits one to they're down two to one on the bottom of the eighth yeah i was gonna say to essentially take the indians further in this playoffs because like you were saying down two one Losing the game, like everything was going against him, and he hit it off a. Argue he hit it off the, the greatest closer of all time. I was going to say honest. one of the best, but yeah, really the greatest closer of all time, the most consistent, and he he, he hits this opposite field shot off him on a two and zero pit. He just he just takes it opposite field in yeah. the right field and ties the game at two, and then in the bottom of the ninth, he wins the game again on a single on a single to force a game five, which they end up winning. Um, four to three, and he had a double and a run in the game five as well. So he's the hero of the division series. They go to the championship series, and who do they draw, Chris? They get their familiar foes. Their familiar foes. Um, in the Orioles, which it's such a great matchup that you see kind of building throughout the years of fucking brothers. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) they end up beating the Orioles. 
Yep, he hits a homer in when game four. A, yep. Uh, they win him in six games, and then they go to the World Series and play the Florida Marlins in a very exciting World Series for Florida. And I mean, and was, well, everyone out, everyone not in Cleveland, it was exciting. I, I was guess. just going to say, Sandy has a really great World Series, but Florida is so stacked, stacked and lucky and as lucky. shit. Yeah. Um, I, I think in the World Series, he hits 367 with two home runs. He does. I'm just saying. So, like, he has an amazing World Series. It, it just, they just didn't have, they didn't have the luck on their side. If Jose know? Mesa just keeps his shit together, it doesn't even, and if Bobby Bonilla doesn't hit that home run. Do you think he had earplugs in, Chris? Such a crazy, it, it's, just to think of just little things that would change. I mean, Cleveland winning that World Series over the Marlins. It just... Oh, my God. That had to be heartbreaking because, you know, you see that Arenteria single over Nagy. You're like, is he... No, God. And for him to have to watch that from behind the plate. Yeah, from behind the plate to see it. This is depressing. Oh, man. Uh, 98, uh, he makes his final All-Star game. He made six All-Star games, which... For a guy who never played more than 132 games in a season is pretty damn incredible. No, it really is. And he was that great of a catcher where you saw his potential, especially in 97, but kind of played with a lot of hardcore injuries. And while he could hit, his main, you know, what he brought most to the table was his defensive play, his ability to call a game and handling a pitching staff and just his overall leadership. That's what everyone swears. And you mm-hmm. couldn't, I couldn't find a single player on those Indians teams who disliked him. Yep. They all had nothing but nice and positive things to say. And they said it was the leadership that you want by like leading by example. Yes. Yeah. Not rah rah, but more like, here's how you be a professional. Yes. <laughs> so 98, they, uh, Win the division again. Unfortunately, they lose in the championship series to the Yankees in Death Star fashion in six games. 99, though, was probably their best chance, I would say. Um, They win the AL Central. Sandy's brother comes and plays for the Indians. Yes. And this lineup might have been better than the one in 1995, actually. Well, they say defensively this is probably the best. Well, you had Alomar and Vizquel. Alomar and Vizquel. 20-something odd gold gloves between them. I mean. You know what they called them? Huh. The Eiffel Tower, because they were they were tag teaming. Oh, they were they were tag teaming was, with a little extra, which we'll get into in the next it episode. Was, Chris. was a bit of the old uh, what's good the double team. <laughs> Sandy's only limited to thirty seven games, but still yeah. hits three oh seven. He was their last. He was their final hitter, and he's still hitting up uh, over three hundred. Um, in the ALDS, they're up two to zero. We talked about it in the Lofted episode, and they just completely implode. Yep. Completely implode and lose the last three games to lose the series, and then in 2000, his final season in Cleveland, he's 34. He starts splitting time with Einar Diaz at catcher. Uh, plays in 97 games, has a nice season. I mean, 289, seven dingers, 42 RBIs, but they don't make the playoffs. And by that point, Cleveland, you know, ready to rebuild, re- and- ready to go in a different direction. Yeah, so he ends up going to the White Sox. And this starts the point in his career where he's going to teams to basically be Jake Taylor. Yes. Like, Seriously, to coach the up-and-coming 
coach the up and coming catchers and also and, uh, handle the pitchers. Handle the pitchers. That yes, the the both of that where he's just like this veteran catcher that's like a leader or almost like a, a first base coach behind the plate. Yeah, he's your catching coach already. Yeah, like, he, coach, and also yeah, your yeah. pitching coach too. And much like Kenny Lofton, we discussed, he's such a nice guy. Yeah, that like. He probably extended his professional baseball career by an extra six years. Especially when you see he really bounces around here a bit, you know? But I think teams are realizing, like, look, we're not, he's not going to play in a hell of a lot of games for us, but you know what he's going to do? Make our catchers and pitchers better yes. on our roster. Because, <laughs> you know, he starts bouncing around starting in 2001. It goes to the White Sox, then the Rockies, then the Rangers. Couple of years there with the White Sox in 03 and 04. He plays with his brother again. Yep. But they is, were both um, at the tail ends of their career and they're both just kind of sporadically playing. But it, I do love the fact that they meet up and play with each other twice. Three times if you count the Padres. Oh, yeah. I guess that's true. They did kind of play. Technically, well. I mean. Technic I mean yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. They, yeah. And that was probably where they played the most together. Nah, maybe in no, Cleveland. No, Cleveland, probably. Yeah, probably in Cleveland. Um, then he plays for the Dodgers and then the Mets. And then the Mets. Uh, finally uh, retires after 2007. And then in 2008, 2009, he's the catching instructor for the Mets. And then after that, because, like I said, there's no, there's probably, that was the first move that made Cleveland like a non laughing stock of a baseball team. Yep. He's beloved by that. I mean, he's in their franchise's Hall of Fame. Like, he goes back to Cleveland in what 2010 and just starts coaching. I was going to say assistant. This, you see the transition to coaching being so seamless with him. It's like his dad. Yes. Essentially, you know, cuz his dad much like him and we'll get into how I won't say he it, let's just say his brother was had a much more illustrious MLB career right. as he didn't spend as much time on the disabled list. Sandy could have enjoyed that as a catcher unfortunately for injuries, but no, he was a perfect fit to be a coach. Mm -hmm. um, he's been through, I think, three different managers with the Indians. Every new regime just keeps him on yep. because of what he means. Uh, Terry Francona, uh, former U of A Wildcat, who's now the Indians slash Guardians coach, said, because he was in Cleveland when he, they first acquired him, he said he was the best catcher he had ever seen, and that included Hall of Famer Gary Carter. So this That's is pre-injuries. Pretty wild praise. He said Gary could drive in a hundred runs a year, but Sandy was the better overall baseball player. Yeah. So and he has kept him on. He's still coaching there now. He's yes. been there over a decade. So did want to bring this up. Twenty years in Major League Baseball for him as a as a player. Mm -hmm. As a player, um, one thousand two hundred thirty six hits, one hundred twelve dingers, five hundred eighty eight RBIs. He hit two seventy three, which for a catcher is pretty damn good. Over twenty and, years. Yeah, you know what I mean. Where like you know his batting average dips at the end of his career. It, yeah. If it's he great. had those healthy seasons from oh, like ninety one to about ninety nine. We might be talking about, I won't say Hall of Fame, Sandy Alomar, but it would be a, definitely a different discussion yes. than what if. Uh, still a six-time All-Star, a Gold Glove, a Rookie of the Year, and an All-Star Game MVP. Yeah. Which, nothing to sneeze at, and I'm surprised he hasn't got a manager, a head coaching job 
in Major League Baseball. It now. makes you think maybe he doesn't want it. Some guys see what the head coaching is, and they're just like, no, 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 I don't want that whatsoever because I think he's he's literally or uh, he's just happy in Cleveland. Yeah, he's catching coach, he's first base coach. He's just kind of like, no, no, I'm I'm fine. Um, yeah. I've been here for the last thirty five years. Yeah, yeah, I like Cleveland. <laughs> But yeah, Sandy Alomar. Sandy if you Alomar. don't know about him, check him out. It's a really interesting story. So. Definitely. 